This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Let's go to Thought Council. It is Thursday, so at 10 o'clock we do Thought Council. Um, you know, Knowledge Bank, Intellectual Gymnastics, Thought Council, Reflective Space. That's what we have for you here on Power Talk uh, this morning. We're looking at talking alternative energy. What do we mean when we talk about transitioning to a low-carbon economy? We do know that our power utility, ESCOM, HCOM, some would say, estimates that, you know, if, if they are without additional capacity, they will have an electricity supply shortfall of between 4,000 and 6,000 megawatts over the next five years as old coal fire power stations reach their end of life. So we often hear this talk about a very, very um, uh, old infrastructure, aged infrastructure, as power stations that need to be decommissioned and so on, which really does add a lot of pressure into the system. So that's what uh, has prompted us to say, but what, what, where are we as a society? What do we mean uh, when we talk about these transitions? And uh, it's, it's also not just because of the shortfalls at ESCOM. It might be that in South Africa, we are transitioning out of necessity and demand. But uh, really, the world over, there's been a great deal of campaigning you know, for transitions to uh, low-carbon economies, moving away from coal towards renewable energy and other forms of energy. And so we also look at local capacity available to migrate to these alternative energies versus the need for imported solutions. Because part of the big conversation now is whether or not we have local solutions in South Africa. Are we importing too much? Whether you're talking, uh, you know, solar, whether you're talking about hydro, whether you're talking about, you know, power ships, whether you're talking about um, any other forms, LNG-related forms of alternatives, do we have the inputs in the country so that, you know, as we transition, we're not feeding um, economies elsewhere but not taking away from our own potential as an economy in South Africa that needs to uh, have energy security, industrialize greatly, secure its, uh, you know, uh, people's uh, food and uh, agricultural ability. So that's the kind of uh, thought council that we will have uh, today. Uh, my guests are Prof. Tonderai Matambo. He's the head of the biotechnology at the Institute for the Development of Energy for African Sustainability, and that is at the University of South Africa, UNISA. My other guests will be, my other guest will be Khaupa Lelwe uh, Sansweri, a nuclear physicist and executive chairperson of the South African Young Nuclear Professional Society. And Avena Jacqueline joins us, and uh, uh, there with climate and energy justice campaign actually is the climate and energy justice campaign manager at Groundwork. So those are my guests. Prof. Madambo, good morning. Welcome to Power Talk. Good morning and thank you very much and and, uh, uh, welcome to to your listeners. Thank you very much. Good morning. Welcome to Power Talk. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lucano. Thank you very much, and uh, good morning to your listeners and there's, the panelists. There's just something I might ask you to fix with your line. I'm getting a bit of wind on it. Um, so if you can just sort that out for me, I'd be very happy. Um, Avena, good morning. Welcome to Power Talk. Good morning, Lucano, and to all your listeners and fellow panelists. 
Thank you for making the time. Prof. Madambo, probably let me talk to you. I mean, uh, the work that you are doing uh, with the Institute for the Development of Energy for African Sustainability. Uh, and, and you know, in the continent, we host one of the United Nations uh, organizations, the Environmental uh, Program uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. And they've been doing a lot of work talking about, you know, uh, ideas on low-carbon economies. Uh, once attended a conference they had 2015 right there in Nairobi. Uh, when we talk, Prof. Madambo, about, you know, this transition to low-carbon economies and looking for alternative energy sources, what is it that we are talking about? Uh, basically, okay, let me just mention in terms of what I do at, um, uh, at Ideas. Yeah. Then, uh, go ahead. Um, at Ideas, um, I'm heading up uh, uh, with a team whereby we are looking at uh, your bioenergy. And when I refer to bioenergy, I'm referring to more of your uh, biogas. Right, that's a uh, gas produced from your waste um, material to actually uh, produce uh, the, 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 the gas. And the gas is mainly of methane and also contains carbon dioxide. But the methane content is the one that we're actually interested in, which is used for, for, for energy. You can actually use it to, to uh, generate electricity, you can use it to, for, for, for cooking directly. And, um, and uh, we've been doing a, a, a number of uh, um, uh, uh, research on that to see how can we improve that. And, and going on to talk about your low carbon energy rate, we look at it in terms of how can we uh, um, reduce the uh, carbon emissions that are being produced by the current um, uh, uh, energy processes. And uh, in the case, in terms of uh, uh, biogas uh, using microorganisms, it's, it's referred to as a carbon zero uh, it's called, um, energy in the sense that the carbon dioxide that's being used is neutral, meaning that it, it, it can be uptaken by the plants. So you're actually uh, um, uh, uh, used in the plants who actually, when they're going through the, the whole process of uh, for the synthesis. So we're not, we're not actually so, uh, emitting um, the um, greenhouse gases into the environments, mm. but we're actually using that. So by, by using the, what can I say, the waste, which if it's left um, to decompose in the environments, it will then tend to go into the into atmosphere, causing a global warming. And that's what we need to prevent. And we need to look at technologies, which because at the moment I think uh, with South Africa we are we are a, a coal intense um, a, a economy, and the amount of uh, carbon dioxide that's going to atmosphere is quite high, and we need to reduce that to reduce uh, carbon um, global warming. Um, Sasol again, they produce a lot of uh, uh, emissions, which needs to be re reduced. So they also are looking at ways of uh, um, um, reducing those emissions by using alternative uh, methods in terms of trying to uh, um, bring down the um, uh, um, emissions and, uh, and try and have a, a more sustainable environment. Now, Prof, uh, you talk about, you know, some waste that you rely on for this production, particularly of methane, which is what you are interested in the most. What, what, form, what forms of waste are, would, you, would you say are inputs uh, to the process of production uh, for, for, for this uh, biotechnology uh, to produce methane gas? Yeah, um, the, the waste we're talking about is more of your um, uh, organic waste. And refer to organic waste is, any, is anything in terms like like um, um, animal waste, mm. um, garden waste, or agricultural waste, uh, even your kitchen waste. 
anything that has a carbon uh, source in it, right, is what we're looking at. So that with the use of microorganisms, it actually, we actually convert to produce your methane. So the process is it's, it's, it's quite simple, but again, sort of complicated uh, if, 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 you, if it's not done um, uh, uh, correctly. So the microorganisms, what they just do is basically feed on the carbon source for energy, while at the same time they're producing the methane. And, and when they produce the methane, they also produce carbon dioxide. So there's that balance that we need to actually uh, uh, um, come up with. So with the research, we're saying, let's try and um, uh, design the process so that the amount of methane that they produce is higher, much higher than the, than the carbon dioxide. So those are the things that we're looking at. So it's, it's, a, it's more of a simple process, but it's under anaerobic uh, conditions whereby there's no uh, carbon dioxide present in, during the, the, the whole process. So, 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 like, uh, sorry, sorry for that. No, no so like problem. For instance, like, so, so, like, for instance, like, um, uh, some people, like, I know, like, for India, China, uh, you have um, households, people uh, building um, simple digesters, putting their food waste there. So, just think of it like, a, like a compost. Yes. Right. But, but in this, in this case, you actually add in water to that compost and then closing it and sealing it and then capturing that gas that comes out. So, so that's what the process is almost like. Now, Prof, before I go to my other panelists, uh, just quickly, because uh, I'm trying to understand here, really, uh, the, this methane you talk about, when it is being used now as an, um, as an energy source, uh, does it have any impact as, uh, as, as, as part of, you know, your greenhouse gases onto the atmosphere? No, no, that's the thing, because like uh, methane itself, right, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a greenhouse gas, right? Yeah. So, so what we're seeing is let's capture that methane, right? And then let's 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 use it. So what 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 is done? If just think of um uh, the, the the LPG gases that you use in, in your, your for cooking and stuff. Yes. So we're saying you can replace those LPG gas with the with the with the biogas, and then use that for cooking. So you, so it, obviously it burns and it actually burns much better. You can also use the gas for gas gener- generators, whereby you, you then actually then produce um electricity from that, as well as or, or, or for lighting. So um, in uh, China is uh, advanced in that, and they use that for for big um, uh, uh, um, generators to produce electricity. So they are, they they have gone so advanced, and we here in South Africa we need uh, actually Africa we need to try and uh, catch up with that technology in terms of let's say we can use that because we've got a lot of resources, a lot of uh, feeds that we can actually uh, use. So the gas itself you won't actually be contributing to global warming. Because like what I mentioned, yep. it's 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 it's, it's uh, the, the the technology biogas is regarded as a carbon a zero or carbon neutral um uh, uh, carbon dioxide that's actually produced, which is actually good for the for the um, plants and the good. Okay, thank you very much, Prof. I, I really appreciate this. Khaupalelu, uh, let me bring you in on this conversation now. Um, and, and I mean, you, 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 you with nuclear and some, you know, the conversations that we have had in the country uh, about nuclear energy. But when we are talking about low carbon economies, um, is nuclear part and parcel of the available avenues? And what is the business case for that? Thank you, thank you very much. I think uh, we all know that nuclear forms part of that. Actually, when we look at uh, all these other issues, and now the discussion across the world is that nuclear is part of the clean energy or the low-carbon energy. And we've seen also in Europe that uh, very recently, they've actually passed uh, one of the 
the, the, the very important milestone by adding nuclear into the clean energy. They have formed part of it. The European Union have said that nuclear forms part of the clean energy and it must be sort of a part of the uh, 2050 uh, uh, energy plan. And it's not only that. There are also discussions also from the uh, IPCC, which is the International uh, Panel on Climate Change, to say that we need to add nuclear because nuclear is part of it. I mean, when you go to Quebec, you will witness that. Quebec power, nuclear power station has demonstrated to South Africa what is a low-carbon energy, and then uh, we need to also embrace it. And then the only thing that we need to do, to do in South Africa is to depoliticize technologies. Because mm-hmm. once we politicize technologies, we start look, leaving out the important part of the technology that can contribute to low-carbon energy. And I think that to ensure that also, as part of dispatchable, because there's no way you can run a country without dispatchable energy. Yeah. And also, nuclear forms part of it. You know, it can also assist in also to ensure that we can do what we call load following. You know, when your intermittent uh, uh, energy, low carbon energy like your wind and solar are not available, you can also use nuclear as a backup. I no, mean, Palemi, let's, 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 let's take a pause there probably and say, I keep hearing this phrase, dispatchable energy. <laughs> then it, it, it sparks in the mind that there might be energy that's not so easy or readily available to dispatch. Can you just clarify what that phrase is about? When we talk about dispatchable energy, we talk about energy that is available 24-7. When you wake up 5 o'clock in the morning and you switch on your light, that energy must be available. Mm-hmm. Midnight, when you feel like you want coffee, that energy must be available. So when you talk of non-dispatchable, it's energy that is available at a certain time. I mean, let's talk about PV, solar. Yeah. It's available between uh, 10 to 2 p.m. And then when you talk about wind, wind you get it, especially in the coastal area, around, uh, say, 5 to 9 o'clock in the evening. That is what we call non-dispatchable. So dispatchable energy is energy that you get 24-7. Mm. Okay. Yes. And then now, the polit- you talk about the politicization of, you know, technologies and nuclear seems to have been one of those what do you think when you have you've listened you've watched you've read especially in our country what do you think has contributed to this i think there's a there's a there's a probably part of it the personal interest you know there's a lot of personal interest that happened whereby people felt like they want to have personally gained from whatever technologies that are dispersed but when you look at it is that uh, somehow also they start to uh, technology being associated with a certain leader or a certain president to say that this one likes this one or that one, that the uh, president like that one. Mm. So I think people attach technology to who was in power by that particular time, not as to compare to the interest of the country. But insofar as, you know, the some people talk about the cost, these low carbon economy transitions may be very costly. Would you say nuclear is a costly technology to acquire? Well, the, the cost of nuclear is the, the, the high cost of nuclear is the capex, you know, what you put in. But the OPEX is very low. So when you do investment, you need to understand that how do you uh, ensure that you, you benefit from the capex, uh, the high capex? Because what makes nuclear to be uh, maybe expensive, if I may a little bit yes. explain, is that you need to do a lot of the, 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 high, the safety of nuclear is very high. The regulation of nuclear is very high. You need to ensure that there is not going to be radiation that will be released to the workers, to the environment, or the public. So that was makes nuclear uh, very expensive because uh, all the technology providers, they must ensure at all costs that you will never have uh, radiation released 
if there was going to be any accident in the nuclear. So that's what makes nuclear expensive because the concrete that they use there, the rebars, I mean, the nuclear island, you use high quality steel. I mean, the rebars there, they must ensure that they sustain any seismic condition if there was an earthquake and so forth. That's what makes nuclear. But the rest of the balance of plant is more similar to what you get in a coal power station or a gas power station. The most important part is the nuclear island. That's where the most money is spent to ensure that safety is guaranteed. Absolutely. Let me bring you in, Avena, on this. You've been listening in uh, quite attentively, I'm certain. Uh, the, the, the talk on low-carbon economies, really, some people will say, there isn't a business case for it. You need a just transition. You need to be very careful not to, you know, uh, make people lose jobs. I was talking to my colleague TT earlier today. He says, yeah, but the, the, the dirty energy seems to create the most jobs. So from your perspective at, gro- at Groundwork, when we talk about this transition to low-carbon economies, what are some of the things you tease out as part and parcel of this conversation? Okay, thank you. So I think firstly, what we need to acknowledge is that South Africa is Africa's worst polluter and most industrialized country in Africa. And um, so we have an obligation to accelerate these efforts to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, We also have obligations to our constitution. We are living in a democracy and we have a population which is now about 60% living in poverty. So these are aspects that we need to address within our energy system. The other thing we need to look at is bad decisions. You know, how did we end up in this kind of energy situation that we are in the Mm. country currently? Uh, So if we look at the amount of debt, uh, for example, that ESCOM has accumulated, if we look at some of these emergency power procurement uh, processes, can we really afford to make any more bad decisions about energy? Uh, in our future, in energy future. So, you know, I guess the challenge is how do we transition to a low-carbon economy and include everybody? Because what we're trying to also do is to reduce energy poverty and to also increase the access of energy to everybody and to make that energy affordable. I think some of these very, very expensive technologies like nuclear, for example, yeah. Um, we had a pebble bed modular reactor which failed in the 90s. Trevor Manuel had to pull the plug, and that was nine to eight, uh, nine to ten billion rand loss. You know, you can look at your high, high traffic um, that went into Kuberg, and that hasn't been paid off. Um, our electricity plan does not actually have uh, nuclear in it, and the reality is that you know over time it would be so expensive. It also requires a huge amount of um, uh, cement, which is another huge CO2 emitter. And it's about 8% contribute of the world's carbon dioxide. So how do we actually move from these outdated sort of uh, energy and energy policies that you know, we're currently sitting with? Um, energy systems around the world have changed. So if we look at PV uh, and wind potential, for example, South Africa could potentially supply the world's energy needs with its land mass and renewable energy resources. That's just looking at the square uh, kilometers, you know, within the country. Uh, Germany, for and example, how that, and how would that work in real terms, Avina? Um, yeah, so I'm going to just translate that for mm, you mm, a little mm. bit. Yeah. Uh, so Germany, for example, produces roughly 40 gigawatts from both PV and wind. 
And this is used also with storage capacity. So the best German site for renewable energy uh, generation will be much worse than the worst uh, site in South Africa. So the most sort of unfavorable condition in South Africa. Um, and what's important is that we understand the fluctuations, uh, you know, with the periods of lack of sun and wind, etc. But we we can actually meet base loads with uh, with renewables and storage capacity. Um, yeah, so I think also what we need to realize is that uh, renewable energy will be will have the capacity to produce a lot more jobs for people. Uh, we can build on the local capacity. We have the ability then to manufacture a lot of the components within the country and to create uh, an economy where, um, you know, you can have a lot of these job losses from the fossil fuel sector being translated into the renewable sector, and it will generate even more jobs in that process. We also cannot divorce um, the production of energy with energy efficiency. So energy demand is actually reducing because of energy efficiency initiatives as well. So, you know, we can um, save about 17 to 25% of energy just through energy efficiency measures. And uh, this also, this energy demand will reduce and has been reducing over time. Uh, Avena, let's hold it there. I'll come back to that idea um, that the energy demand is reducing, whether it's because of where we find ourselves economically or otherwise. And I'm going to open the lines on 0861-987-000 for you people of power to engage uh, with this thought council. But let's go to Thomas White. You're listening to Power Talk, 9 a.m. to noon. Well, good morning. Welcome back. It is 27 minutes to 11. Thought Council, what do we mean when we talk about low carbon uh, economies and uh, that transition? What should it look like? Uh, Prof. Madambo, let me come back to you. I do have a question uh, from Entle on Twitter that uh, she has asked I put to you. I'm just quickly trying to find it for you uh, so that you may be able to respond. She's asking... Uh, she says she's been reading about carbon sequestration uh, affect, affects climate change. Um, are there any benefits to sequestrate carbon? Uh, that's what I must uh, kindly ask you. I suppose that she might have been reading that carbon sequestration does affect carb- climate change. Any any response to that, Prof? Um, the, the, um, to answer the, I haven't, I haven't heard that uh, uh, thing. All right, but um, what uh, one of the uh, um, research that we have done um, at the institute was actually to do carbon sequestration, right? And that was with looking at the the, the emissions that were being uh, produced at um, at, at Sasol, because we got a technology which is very similar, which is the FT uh, uh, technology. So what, what happens is that um, the, the the carbon dioxide, we used to sequestrate them using algae. So the algae uh, uh, absorbs the um, carbon dioxide, mm. right? And then at the same time, well, because remember, because remember, if you think about it, right, um, with um, algae, it's it's an it's an organism, right, which is more like a plant, which obviously goes through photosynthesis, so it needs light, carbon dioxide, and water to grow. So 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 by taking that carbon dioxide and actually uh, pouring it into the algae, it actually absorbs it, right? And then the algae obviously grows, 
and then you obviously end up getting the algae um, blooms or whatever. But at the end of the day, you can actually then take that algae and then um, press them and then uh, um, uh, get your um, uh, oils to actually produce biodiesel. So to me, to be honest with you, it's it's a good way if you're using microorganisms to actually do carbon sequestration, which whereby you're actually removing the carbon dioxide from the from the, the fumes. And, it's a, and it has been proven to actually be a, a good way. But other processes, I'm not too aware of it because I'm more yep. towards your biological uh, systems. So that's, that's the side I can actually explain on that. To me, it's actually a, not a bad thing, but actually a, a, a good thing. Okay, uh, let me. How uh, you did hear from Avena? I mean, talking about the capex, the demands um, on the really demand on the fiscars, and uh, almost probably saying it is part of uh, outdated technologies of energy. How do you respond to that kind of view? Okay, first of all, I would like to make uh, clarity there. Quebec has been long paid; um, uh, it's not being owed currently. And second to that, remember nuclear as other technologies is also evolving. I mean, we're seeing now that nuclear now, we're now talking about small modular reactors that are coming to, to, to the grid very soon. I mean, we've seen one, the, the Chinese are commissioning one. Uh, we've got a floating reactor as part of the small modular reactor in Russia that is now powering a small town there. So actually what I want to say is that nuclear is evolving. And this thing of saying that uh, nuclear is expensive, cannot do that. I mean, look at CSP concentrated solar power. It's very expensive. We are buying it at four rent now. So that is one of the things that we must not be... I mean, South Africa needs all the energy available. Let's not uh, try to be... Uh, try to say this technology against this one. Let's see how all the technology can be inclusive to order to ensure that the economy of this country can go. As I've said, solar and, and, and wind are non dispatchable They need something to back it up. And what is available? We have nuclear, we have uranium. So those are the things that we can use now. So what we need to do, we need to talking about what is it that we can do as part of the energy mix. Mm. We have solar, we have wind, we need to have nuclear, we need to have gas if you have it. We need to have all these other energy sources because the most important thing is the economy of the country. Mm. That needs to be. It's ailing now. So when you're going to say this technology against this technology, it's going to become a problem. Okay, I hear you loud and clear. I mean, Avena, the, the, the conversation for me is really about how do we find a middle ground on this energy mix? You made the example of Germany and uh, about 40 gigawatts that they're able to get from PV and uh, wind. In our context as South Africa, uh, this idea that, you know, um, some of these non-renewable energies are not dispatchable, how, how then do you deal with questions of storage? I think you alluded to it just briefly, but how do you deal with questions of storage, one? But also, secondly, Avena, when you talk about PV and wind, uh, how much of the input to make that viable in South Africa is locally available or will still also be importing much of the input into that sector? Okay, so I think to address uh, carbon sequestration, um, it's uh, pretty much a false solution if one had to look at the amount of carbon uh, dioxide that's being emitted into the atmosphere and with greenhouse gas emissions through fossil fuels. So it kind of is saying that, you know, we can continue pumping that out and so we're just going to sequester carbon. So in a laboratory, these sort of things might work, but practically, you need a very large area of land. You need a lot of resources. You need a lot of technology. And it's very, very expensive to sequester carbon. So, um, it's, you know, it, it would be much uh, more effective to move away from uh, carbon emissions 
and to move into more cleaner technologies. Um, just looking at the cost of energy technologies, you know, solar, wind, and battery, battery storage have dropped quite significantly and become very cost competitive with the conventional fossil fuel alternatives. And then also creating opportunities to transition to the low carbon energy system and include people within the country. Mm. A lot of these big technology, um, you know, think things like your nuclear uh, are not uh, um, job creators. They are very highly specialized and uh, it will not create as many jobs as renewables. But, but if you look at uh, so, the, but if you look at the value chain of production of from mining um, uh, to so, the power station, would you not say that there is a possibility for a pipeline of job creation even with nuclear? Well, the, the other thing is, um, you know, we we're going to be generating a large amount of nuclear waste. And so that uh, will now, you, we're going to spend a lot of fuel, et cetera, to try and transport this nuclear waste and try and store it somewhere. And, and that's, not a clean, uh, that's not a clean part of uh, energy production. I mean, if we have to align ourselves with the, the global trend, is that we, we actually need to meet uh, our SDG targets of uh, generating less waste. So if... Um, I mean, our energy sector, for example, produces about 55% of the greenhouse gas emissions. About 45% comes from our products and our food. And surely we need to start embracing technologies that generate jobs, that generate the energy that we need. And that can also be part of what we call a circular uh, economy or have a circular approach to the kind of waste that we generate, which can be recycled, reused, and also create jobs within that sector. So I think in terms of long-term sustainability and then also looking at the, the social aspects of the just transition, um, the recycling of waste um, is a very, very important component. You know, we're using recycling, save energy and save jobs. Okay. Uh, let me ask... We, we, yes. I also want to just go yes, back no. into, um, you know, the, the price of TV panels, for example, be, you know, from 2009 to 2015 has fell by 80%. And then the cost of lithium-ion batteries has dropped uh, by 60% from 2014 to 2016. And this trend is continuing. Do we have, so do we have local capacity to manufacture our own panels? And example? we should be establishing local capacity to, you know, to, uh, to build and to create our own. And if we look at the timeline for putting up a nuclear plant, and the timeline for establishing that kind of production facility, um, I think that you know renewables are far more uh, favourable than nuclear. Before I go back to the line, before I go to the line of, and I, I hear this. I mean, I remember Deputy President uh, uh, David Mabuza appearing uh, before Parliament, saying that part of the difficulty with the renewable energy is that they are getting such little, uh, you know, energy output uh, at below 100 megawatts and so on. So at a large scale, I mean, how how wide would you have to go for renewable energies to give you say 1,500 megawatts? Well, I think we also need to look at the kind of energy systems and models we are using, you know, in the different areas in the country. So instead of having these very large kind of uh, projects where uh, we just depend on on transmission lines uh, to try and get energy across to different parts of the country, uh, there is uh, a considerable loss of energy as well in transmission. That we need to look at a combination of various uh, energy systems. 
So, you know, for example, one of the things I alluded to in our last conversation was to also look at uh, socially owned renewable energy systems to meet those sort of requirements. Um, every single household, for example, should be having uh, PV and, you know, the way we heat our water, because uh, that's like, that's one of your biggest um, consumers of energy in a household, is to, is to really look at that combination of energy efficiency as well as these different models of energy generation. So if we look at microgrid generation, small-scale embedded generation um, it, within communities in the country, and then having energy generated closer to where it's needed. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's, 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 I'm going to ask all of you to take notes. I'm going to the lines and I have a few people to get through. Senzo, good morning. Good morning, Lukona. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And yourself? I'm well, thank you. Um, Lukona, um, I'm interested in the biodome gas and I've been doing um, my research and it is a, a great idea and it is a great initiative with biodome gas, but the problem is the licensing. Mm. Now, with bigger companies, when they realize, okay, now there's bottom gas, the licensing actually became two times more harder, especially for the black people. Mm. You say, if you come from the rural, if you can do a biodome gas to supply gas, but it's extremely, it, it, it is, it does so much red tape. And then another question would be posed on the nuclear to say, yes, nuclear can provide sustainable power. But as we talk today, Japan is facing a problem of a nuclear waste, which they want to release in the Pacific Ocean, of which mm. a whole lot of organizations are having a problem with that. So the question would be, if we as South Africans, we have a nuclear power, what happens when 15, 20 years down the line, we have a nuclear waste? How, do we, uh, how are we going to dispose that waste sustainably in a way that it is not going to impact the environment tomorrow? Because... Uh, nuclear waste is something which is way, way too much dangerous. Okay. Thank, Thank you very much, uh, Senzo. Let's go to Tsepo. Tsepo, good morning. Uh, good morning, Lukon, and good morning to your guests as well as the listeners of Power FM. Mm. Look, I just wanted to make uh, maybe three points and debunk the myth that uh, certain technologies are cost-effective or cheaper as yeah. has been uh, asserted, and it is not true. Uh, to start with, think of it this way, and this is I want I want the listeners maybe to to think of it that way in terms of intermittent energy sources, whether it's solar or wind. Mm. If the Patco bus company was to from ten o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the afternoon keep their engines, the engines of all their bus fleet running and yet they are stationary, you will most certainly think that you know, that company has gone bonkers and the people that run it don't deserve to run it. Mm. That is what is being asked of South Africa to do, that when you have an intermittent energy source on the grid, because we have a unitary grid in South Africa, it has to run at a specific frequency, which is 50 hertz. You cannot go at 49 heads or 51 heads because then the grid will collapse. So intermittent energy sources need 100% backup for that very reason. Now, when you are backing them up 100%, effectively what you are saying must happen is that the analogy I'm giving you that of the bus company running mm. their buses engines the whole day 
when they are not moving. Because ESCOM, you need base load to all the time be available to, to keep your grid stable. Mm. The other thing, the cost per saleable megawatt hour, not the cost per megawatt hour capacity, but the cost per saleable megawatt hour. That is what you need to look at. And if you were to look at that, I can now tell you that uh, the, on these various technologies, solar and wind, it comes to 18,000 rent per saleable megawatt hour. Mm. Nuclear will come in at 8,600 rent per saleable megawatt hour. Whereas coal, which everybody loads, will come in at 5,681 rent per saleable megawatt hour. So you clearly there know what you need to do if you are in a situation where South Africa is. And lastly, the coal in terms of carbon capture sequestration technology, that technology already is commercially available and it is the least cost. Secondly, a ESCOM, for example, that has got this number of base load coal power stations, they need to repurpose those coal power stations to be flexible and fuel, but change their boilers. They are currently using the technology which is pulverize, pulverization of coal. They need to move to circulating fluidized bed boilers so that already with just that technology, before you even carbon capture or sequestrate, yeah. already you will cut down the emissions. Carbon emissions will be cut down by 66%. Now, Tsepo, just before... The will be cut down by 90%. Tsepo, just then before... The Tsepo, 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 and the nitrogen Tsepo, wait, will also wait. be cut by over 60%. Tsepo, wait, uh, before you just uh, let you go, um, the, the issue around aged infrastructure, how then do you handle that? Because ESCOM themselves, they talk about this and that they will have to decommission a number of uh, power stations in the next uh, few years. Those people, they don't know what they are talking about, and that has been proven over and over. They, in the first instance, have got 48,000 megawatts of nameplate capacity. The demand in the country is 30,000 megawatts, at the most 32,000 megawatts, and yet we have got load shedding. So it tells you exactly that we've got people who are clueless. They're not supposed to be there. There is no such thing as called a, a power station has reached the end of its life. There are power stations, I can give you 18 examples of power stations that were retrofitted with circulating fluidized bed boilers, and those power stations have returned to service, and they are continuing to supply reliable electricity at the least cost okay. in an environmentally friendly manner. Sebo. So the people at ESCOM, they have got no idea what they are talking about, and we shouldn't listen to them. Let's leave it there this morning completely without confidence on ESCOM. Entle, good morning. Good morning, Lukon. How are you? Very well, how are you? I'm good. I wish somebody can teach me a way of calculating his base load mm. in a gas turbine one day. Maybe I'll sit with him and he can teach me that. How to calculate? The base load in a gas turbine. In a gas turbine? Yes. Okay. So that you can tell me one day that there is no such thing as power stations have reached their, their lives. No, that would not be Senzo. That would be Tsepo. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Senzo, oh. you just spoke to him now. No, I spoke to Senzo before Tsepo. Oh, Tepo, yeah. Tepo was the one I just spoke to who said there's no th- such thing as a station reaching its life. Okay. A 50 megawatt intermittent power source 
needs to consume a 50 megawatt transmission line. Like mm. the lady was saying now, that they, in a, the, a normal transmission line, there are losses on the line. Losses are very minimal on the line. As a result, that when we're doing a, a load base or a load calculation, the conductors and the towers, we make sure that there is no losses on the line. People should not be talking from a book. At least they must understand how to calculate the load base, how to calculate a, a, a load capacity. Because there is no single conductor that you can hang on, on the tower, and we know very well that there's going to be load losses. And Leb, while we are here, I mean, these terms just keep flying around and over some of us. When people mm. say, calcu- when you say calculate the load base, what are you calculating? What is it that you want to get to? Okay, when you are calculating a load base, what, what, what we are trying to, to achieve when you are calculating a load base, you find, you find the lowest total consumption number, and then you add it with the, what the country already needs, which is about 32 megawatts. And then your appropriate base load is going to be that number that you can you'll use on the whole, in the whole grid, the whole, in the whole grid. So in a way that when you are calculating it, you ask, we are sectioning it in such a way that something demands so much. Mm. Alexander demands so much. So the lowest consumption, we're using it as a, a common denominator. Okay. I don't know if I'm even myself. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you, but I suppose these things might need a lot more time to e- e- explain. But I, I, I hear you loud and clear. Is there anything that you wanted to put to my panel, Entle? No, uh, another thing that I wanted to put to your panel is that uh, Kubek, we, we refuel Kubek every 12 to 18 months. And it kicks in good uh, energy to the grid. And it's the cleanest. So I don't understand why, the, like the other gentleman was saying, this is very politic. I don't understand why, why why is the government really not buying into this community. Okay, Entle, thank you very much. Before I come back to my panel, let me go to a short break. Tweet Lukona at Lukona Mguni and hashtag Power Talk. Yeah, we're going to wrap up Thought Council. It seems like it's been a speed train, I tell you. I'm going to start with you, Prof. Madambo, just on your reflections. There were also questions around uh, issues of licensing. How do you reflect on some of those uh, callers we got? No, um, on the licenses part, he's very much uh, correct. Uh, with government, there is a lot of red tape. Even with us when we're doing uh, with universities, we have to uh, work with governments, and uh, we actually come up with a lot of red tapes. So the licensing part, it, it is an issue which the government needs to actually look at in, in terms of saying um, which which um, system, which um, um, energies can we actually uh, use and how can we actually overcome the licensing part because there is opportunities because we've seen that there's a lot of opportunities where people are actually producing uh, for instance i'm just talking about biogas in terms of the, the, the digesters there's a lot of um, gas that can that can be produced a lot of electricity that can actually be generated but the issues as mentioned licenses licenses is a big issue and that's one thing that government actually needs to really look at I've got you, Prof. Thank you very much. How do you respond to some of the uh, callers? Okay, thanks, thanks very much. I think uh, there's a lot of myths around uh, nuclear, which uh, I don't think people really do understand nuclear technology. And especially with your panelists saying that the wind doesn't... You know, yesterday I was driving down N2, just next to PE, looking at the wind turbines there. 
I mean, one of the things is that they lose a lot of concrete. I mean, she must go and understand that before she, she, she can and say that. And nuclear doesn't produce a lot of uh, uh, carbon. Uh, it's a low carbon uh, uh, emission technology. Second to that, Japan doesn't have issues with uh, waste. It is actually that uh, liquid that they, they sort of drain out of the Fukushima based on that earthquake. They are now going to put it into the ocean. It's low radiation energy. Uh, radiation is not harmful to the environment, nor the species there. And then the other thing about the waste, no. You know, Quebec up to date, the nuclear waste from Quebec, it's half the tennis court. Nuclear doesn't lose a lot of waste. I mean, they use about 157 fuel elements, which every 18 months, they take out one set of them. So I think the, we need to put facts before myths. It is important to understand that all the technologies, they have to be utilized in South Africa, especially now. We need nuclear, we need wind we, as much as we need solar, but we need dispatchable, we need baseload electricity that South Africans still can afford. And the notion that nuclear is unaffordable is not true. I mean, we've seen that the cost of nuclear uh, globally has decreased. A lot of people are still using example of France, and uh, and then and, and, and Finland, we have built in 2007. Let's move away from that. Let's look at uh, the one in UAE. Let's look at the one in South Korea, the one in China, the one in Russia that are currently now in Bangladesh. They okay. are very, the, the capital cost is affordable. Okay. So let's not put the means. Let's put facts so that the South Africans can understand. Rabalele, and I blame as nuclear physicist. I, 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 I get you. Avena, let me give you the last bite. Okay, I think that we do need to look at uh, an energy solution for our country. And that means also looking at the huge amount of poverty that we are experiencing and to make the energy accessible and affordable to all, as well as to make sure that it is environmentally friendly, that we do not have an increase in greenhouse gas emissions, and that we do not have expensive waste storage facilities, but rather that we can use every component within our energy system and also create jobs within recycling and uh, the reuse of materials because, um, yeah, because we do need to have a, a just energy transition that includes everyone. Avena, quickly before I let you go, because it's almost news time, somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who, actually tweeted and asked to put a question to you. What happens to the lithium batteries um, after their life has been done? How are they disposed of in an environmentally friendly way? So, so there are uh, ways of recycling lithium, and uh, lithium actually doesn't go to waste within the system. It is constantly reused. So it is one of those materials, uh, just like aluminium, aluminium, that can be 100% of it can be recycled. So you will not be having uh, lined uh, waste uh, dump sites, for example. Okay. Every single component will be reused. Okay. Avena, thank you very much. Hamalele Sanswiri, thank you very much. And Prof. Madambo, thank you very much for joining us today. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.